Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Tiffany Dominguez. And Tiffany, it's so great to have you back. We're, we're excited that you're here talking scripture with us. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I really enjoyed last time. I'm excited to be here again. Great. Well, today we're going to be going to Corinthians, the first epistle. And just to give a little background, like I said, each one of these little places are different. And so I think it's important to understand a little bit about, you know, where Paul is talking to. So Corinth is a chief town of the Roman province of Achaia. Now, it's right on an isthmus. And so the the interesting thing about this is that it can have harbors on both sides. And because of that, it became really an a, a point of industry. And I like to think of it as kind of the New York City of the area, because it really did become a, a big place where there was a, a lot of very wealthy people, but also a lot of industry. And then there was this split in terms of wealthy and not wealthy. And we're also going to see it was kind of because of the two harbors. And if you've ever been in a, in a city where there's a lot of harbors, you're going to have people from all over the world also in that area. And in terms of the Roman world, this was a point where a lot of people went to. The other thing, too, in terms of Paul, Paul, during his missionary journeys, he did live there for about a year and a half, almost two years. And during that period of time, he got to know the people pretty well. And just before this first letter to the Corinthians, he had actually just dropped by. You know, it was just kind of on his way to some someplace else. And so some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this first epistle, he's going to be discussing some of the things that he noticed while he was there and some of the issues and problems. One of the things that he'll be talking about is there seems to be a split in terms of the church. We, Like I said, there are a lot of people going in and out because of these two harbors. And so you also have a lot of, of different Christians coming in and out. And so as we're going to be talking about, there's definitely a need for unity because a lot of the people there begin to, uh, you know, kind of claim so-and-so baptized me and so I'm in this faith or so-and-so baptized me, so I'm in this group. And so Paul's really trying to bring back this idea of, no, we're one church. We're all baptized in Christ. So you're going to hear that theme throughout 1 Corinthians. The other thing that I also wanted to bring out was the fact that at the very beginning, I just wanted to, to read this part, and I wanted you to think, what does this sound like? We kind of talked about this at the beginning of Romans, but I'm just going to read these few verses right here at the beginning. He says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right here at the beginning, what are some of the things that he's saying to the Corinthians right from the get-go? Went totally over my head, except for waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ that right. he's going to come again. Right. <laughs> the rest of it I didn't. So, so right there at the very end, he's saying, 
you're already getting ready for the second coming, which I think is pretty strong. He's saying we're already looking for the second coming of Christ. But the other thing I wanted to point out was that he stresses the importance of their testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's something that's going to be a theme throughout this, because like I said, you have this real division in the the people in Corinth, the saints there, where a lot of them also have this they're Judaizer, Judaizers, is that how you say it? Judaizers. But then you also have people who are Gentiles, like I said, and they're also kind of warring against each other. You know, I'm I'm a Jew, I'm a, a Jewish member, and so somehow I have more right than you as a Gentile member. And so some of that we're also going to see that Paul's also going to be talking about as well. So I know as we kind of go forward, this idea of being united is something that he's going to talk a lot about. And I know, Christine, you have some thoughts on being united as well. Right. And and you kind of introduced that where he said that, um, that I speak, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so I thought, you know, we talked earlier about... Um, oh, how things may be different today than they were back mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So here you had some people that like, I was baptized to John the Baptist, you know, the original, whereas I, you know, came from Cephas or I came from Apollo. And, he, and it's mm-hmm. cute because he said, um, I baptized none of you, but Crispus, who was the, the head of the Jewish synagogue. So he also had brought a lot of people with him. So you look at all these people and all these factions, and I think um, I think that's something that we can really relate to today in different areas. And it it hit me that um, where I live in Rexburg, we are part of a corner that's there's a lot of farms and farmland, and then there's some apartments and then a brand new subdivision all in the same ward. So there's a group of older women that have lived in the same place for years and years and years. And they've all been friends. And when nobody was here and the college was just a little tiny dot, they were very close friends. And um, we, with the new um, neighborhood, all the neighborhood gets together and they go walking and do all these neighborhood things. And then I'm not part of the old or part of the neighborhood or part of the apartment. I'm just in a little corner in the woods. So it's cute because the other day I was um, talking with someone and um, they said, well, maybe we'll let you in. And I was like, what? And I didn't even realize I wasn't in. <laughs> it was like, whoa. So, um, but but these women have just been very close and they do a bunch of things together. And and so I guess there's an in. And they're, I didn't even realize you in. That's great. But I do think um, like in Alpine, I think you have that same thing where you have the new people that have moved in and then you have people that have been there forever. And sometimes in our ward, there can be those kind of divisions. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to just, let's call a spade a spade. What other divisions have you seen in units you've been in or pe- struggles that people have that separate and dispute us one from another in the church? Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, President Nelson did say that there are, it is within the church that we do see that. So. Right, right. 
Well, and I wanted to to focus more on the positive than the negative. I know, but I did want to like say them because I think when you see them, for instance, political. I mean, there's some people that have political views that are very different within the church. Yeah, and they they can clump or pull away rather than look what's important. I think that um, whether you have children or not, whether you're married, whether you're, you're a working mom, right. or whether you're a full time mom, and sometimes those can be very separate. And so I think that pulling together and being one is important. Well, but I think along with that, you're right. We need to be aware and then reach out. And so we need to be not the problem, but the solution to the problem. And so oftentimes that does mean letting somebody in. That does mean, right. you know, going out of your comfort zone to to help somebody. Right. Um, I know there's been a couple of times where we've had that opportunity. I think of my daughter, um, Hannah, who was not married for, for many years. And so she was made the young women's president of the LA stake. And and I thought, how wonderful that she was given that opportunity right. for so many years as a single woman to to be the 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 state president of the young women and the fact that she had been a return missionary and knew Spanish and there was a lot of Spanish young people she was really able to relate to them and help them and my son George who is single is 32 and he's in the bishopric of his ward although he's single and is so included and so those <laughs> kinds of experiences i think really do help the church to become unified. Along with that, I was going to say sometimes culturally, we also might have some issues where, you know, uh, people, now that we're a worldwide church, we also need to open our hearts and our minds to to people of other cultures too. And so that, you know, you might have lived all of your life in Utah and some people from, I, I remember when we lived in New York, we had some some people that were refugees from Venezuela. We also had some refugees from um, from Africa that came into our ward, and to reach out to those people and help them to feel included, where we're talking completely different culture, completely different country, to be able to have that opportunity to feel unity, even though our backgrounds might be very, very different. Which is so interesting because I think there's also culture within us, like inner city culture. And sometimes we think that because it's a different country, it's easier to accept than someone who may be more rough around the edges that may be, you know, tattooed or have other issues that we think, oh, they're different, but just totally accepting them right. and being one. The thing that made Zion, Zion was that they were one. And so I think that that, that clarity that we become one as a people, if you are not one, you are not mine, is so, so important. I agree. Well, I know, Tiffany, um, it is important to accomplish this work as one, but also we need the wisdom of God to do that as well. Exactly. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So President Nelson, in one of the and we talked about this last time, but I think this is one of the greatest talks ever mm-hmm. given in conference yeah. ever, but overcome the world and find rest. I love mm-hmm. that one. Um, he talks to extensively about how to overcome this wisdom of the wise. Um, 
And he says, what does it mean to overcome the world? It means overcoming the temptation to care more about the things of this world than the things of God. It means trusting the doctrine of Christ more than the philosophies of men. It means delighting in truth, denouncing deception, and becoming humble followers of Christ. It means choosing to refrain from anything that drives the Spirit away. It means being willing to give away even our favorite sins. So how in a world full of noise and commotion do we see truth? Um, So President Nelson also quoted President Benson talking about how men and women who turn their lives over to God, that he will, one of the promises he gives is that he will quicken their minds. So a few months ago, I was in a place in my life where I felt like I had tried everything. I tried EMDR, ART, the tapping, um, some breath work, uh, therapy, trauma treatment, all those things. And I still felt like there was a like distance between me and God. And I didn't feel like, I didn't feel healed. And so what I needed, really what I kept seeking was the truth of what had happened. I needed God to quicken my mind. I needed, I needed that. And so, um, and I was even already at that time in my life, um, going to the temple twice a week and I still, I still couldn't feel it. And so, or, or understand it. Um, so, so what I did was try this form of prayer that I, that I hadn't tried before. And, you know, you just get to the point where you're kind of willing to try anything, especially if you tried tapping and all those other things, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just like, all right, throw it at me. I'll hold crystals. I'll do whatever. Um, and so, but what I hadn't tried was this deep form of prayer. And so what I did was, um, I prayed, I told God all of my struggles, um, and then I handed, um, I handed them over to him and asked for a miracle of healing. And I asked what to do, and I went to the temple and prayed there, and God rewarded my effort. Um, not only did he heal me, he quickened my mind, and I could absorb truth in a way I never had before. Can I ask that question? Yeah. So what is a deep form of prayer? I find that fascinating. It really, so I knelt down. I had a picture of Christ holding um, a young woman. And I visualized myself in his arms. And I, excuse me, um, I get obviously emotional about this. But um, I just was so honest about everything. And then, and I did this out loud because there's just such power in the word and the spoken word. And I did it out loud. And then I, I said, I'm, I'm turning this over to you and I need a miracle. I need you to heal me. I, I'm, I have faith that you can do this because I can't, I recognize, I fully recognize that I cannot do this. And I know because I've tried. I've tried everything. And so, you know, it, it took, um, I did that every night for a couple of weeks. And along with my temple attendants, um, I felt the change start to happen in me. Wow. And um, before I started this, I had the impression, if you do this, it'll work. It'll work. And it did. I love that. 
And so, um, so I really felt like, um, hopefully that you can see how this relates back to the quickening of the mind. And, um, you know, I, I felt like he gave me the answers to the pieces that I needed to fill in to complete my healing. And so, um, it, and it was really hard. Some of the answers I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to know, but he was right there by my side. And every night I handed it back to him, said, I know this was really hard for me to find out, but I'm handing it back to you. I, you know, and I'm, I'm asking for the healing. And so, but I yeah. love what you said that you said that he told you to do things really hard. And so often when you say you hand it over to him, mm -hmm. then people think you're done, but it's just the beginning of the work. Right. Because he always just gives you back mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. to yeah. do. So handing it mm -hmm. over to him isn't like what people think, mm -hmm. but it, it's you hand it the problem to him. And then the Lord always seems to give you another direction mm -hmm. that opens your eyes and heals you in ways you didn't even think right. you knew. I, I do have to say, like, um, I was having hip issues. This has to do with it. It really does. <laughs> and I went to a chiropractor, and he said, your hip issues aren't your hip. It's you never stretch your leg back because I have terrible knees, and it puts pressure on my knees if I hit. And he said, that's what's making your hip. So it's a totally different stretch. But then it healed my hip. And I think it's the same way. We hand it over to him, and the Lord's like, oh, you need to do this. And you're like, that has nothing to do with my problem, but it does. <laughs> right. But it does because when you hand it over to him, he solves it in a much better way yes. than you had any idea. Right. That you would ever it. even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has that ever happened in your life where you handed it over to him? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think of, of times when we've gone through stress or times where, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories was when I was a uh, young, you know, a young uh, mother. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But um, it was interesting because my, uh, my husband was a bishop at 29. I was 27. It was a huge ward in upstate New York. And we had all these little children. You know, I had my fourth baby on our fifth wedding anniversary while he was uh, a bishop. And I can still remember this one day where, of course, as you know, the bishop's wife, I felt like I had to do everything. And so it was, I was pregnant and not feeling well. And I had this whole list of things that I needed to do. And I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, I can't do this physically, emotionally, in every way. You know, I was supposed to help another family and take care of her five children along with mine. And I was supposed to, you know, take a dinner to someone and I had a visiting teaching appointment and I had something else. And so basically it was just this whole list and I wasn't feeling well. I was very pregnant. And so I got on my knees and I prayed. And it was funny because that the next day when I had all these things I was supposed to do, I got a phone call first thing. Oh, guess what? You don't need to babysit my children. You know, I, I took care of it. Somebody else offered to do it. You don't need to worry about it. And another person, you know, the dinner I was supposed to take, they called and they said, well, don't worry, we got somebody else to do it. And the next thing, you know, everything, basically, it was all taken care of. And then the irony was, I went back to the Lord and I said, 
but I would have loved to have one of them. You know? <laughs> I would have had a little bit. But it was interesting when we do, we take it to the Lord. Sometimes we're surprised in terms of the way that he helps us take care of things. It's a giggle, though, because I was just hearing you say that. And I thought there was a day recently where I woke up and it was like, I have the whole day to myself. And then and I it got was a the call. opposite. <laughs> so you were taking care of somebody else, right? Exactly. I love it. So anyway. Yes, but you had to surrender that to God and trust that he would take care of it. And I think that's what I was missing before is just that active surrender. So. Oh, that's wonderful. And that goes right along with another, the, the next point that Paul makes, and that is that we also need the Spirit to understand things. And so if we go to Second, First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 9 and 10, and then 14, 15, and 16. And here Paul says, But it, as it is written, <clears throat> I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. For God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And then going to 14, but the natural man, you know, we've talked a lot about the natural man, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, I'm so blessed to teach at Brigham Young University, and I just love the fact that every single class I teach, I can start with prayer. And I've taught in other places where that was not the case. And I have to admit, there's something about bringing in the Spirit, even when you're talking about worldly knowledge, that basically there's nothing that is worldly knowledge. Everything is knowledge that we need the Spirit to help us understand better. I don't care if it's math. I don't care if it's chemistry. If we have the Spirit with us, we will understand things better, deeper, and in, in a better way. I was curious, too, uh, both of you have been students, and I was wondering, how did the Spirit help you not just understand spiritual things, but also, you know, worldly understanding as well? Well, I know when I was doing calculus, there was one day that I just couldn't understand. Um, it was like when you took a, like a shape and then it rotated and you had to find volume and <clears throat> it was like my brain couldn't stretch that far and I went and I prayed and suddenly it stretched and I got it and I really felt like it was the spirit that allowed my brain to understand a concept that was beyond what my brain normally could so I was shocked that the spirit could actually help you understand Learn calculus things. definitely and that was news to me but I haven't done calculus since. So. <laughs> well, Tiffany, yeah. you had that experience at all? Yeah, I, w I would say in my career in real estate, mm -hmm. I have it quite often. I mean, this is a very significant event in the, you know, I'm always there for 
the big transitional times in people's lives when they're getting married or divorced or they're moving up, they're growing their family, the parent passes away. And it's really why I love my job because um, I will, I get to be there and, and help. And so one of the things I definitely do, and, you know, it might seem unprofessional to some, but I, I pray about decisions that I make or advise in deals. Mm -hmm. And I also encourage my clients who are members of the church to, to pray about the offers we make on houses. And, you know, the good thing I tell them is that it's not in my hands. You know, you take it to God and then you ask him and then I'm just here to support you. And so then we we can move forward and he'll he'll open the way because, you know, as my one of my good friends always says, he's a way maker. And so when when we find that right path for them, he opens the way. And, you know, it's still. Um, it's still a lot of work. And as, you know, President Nelson says, the Lord loves effort. So we have to put in our part, but then um, he opens the way on it. And I was really surprised early on in my career to find that inspiration could be so much a part of what I did every day. Well, and and one thing, we, we teach return missionaries at the Institute. And one of the things that we talk about is they, they have this concern and that they don't feel the same spirit as they did on their mission now that they're home from their mission. And so one of the questions I ask them is I say, well, how often did you pray for the Spirit when you were on your mission? I said, let's count. And I and one day when I was with our sister missionaries, I said, let's count how many times we pray. And so we prayed at the very beginning of our study as we prepared you know, for the day. We prayed after the study saying a thank you prayer. Then we prayed as we went to teach a lesson before we went to the lesson. Then we prayed just before the lesson with the the person. Then we prayed at the end as an ending prayer. And then we said a thank you prayer. And realize we did that at least, we taught six people that day. And uh, we counted, we got up to 30 prayers. And then at that point, we just were like, okay, it was only half day, you know, so we kind of averaged it to 50, you know, 50 prayers. And then my question was, how often do you pray now? (laughs) And then you wonder why you don't feel the same way. And I think sometimes we, we don't realize it, but we also stop the spirit in our lives because we don't let him in. And I just, I love the fact that we, we tell, you know, the return missionaries and also to ourselves that pray always and the spirit will make a difference in every part of your life. I mean, not just understanding the scriptures, but understanding calculus, you know, understanding a class that you're about to take that you don't want to, you know, you're worried about the final, you know, those kinds of things as well. how to deal with a teenager. Oh, 100%. You know what hit me as we're talking about this, that scripture that says that that they may be one even as we are one. Mm -hmm. I think not only one with each other, but one with all the aspects of our life that we treat them all as though they're sacred because how we support our families is sacred. How we interact with our children or with our community is sacred. So when everything we do becomes sacred and is treated the same with prayer, it does, it changes who we are. So Elder Paul V. Johnson of the 70 taught an interesting thing and realized he's a scientist. And he said, in the scientific world, 
the scientific method is used to learn and advance knowledge. It has been extremely helpful over the years and has yielded tremendous amounts of scientific knowledge and continues to push back the curtain of ignorance about our physical world. Learning spiritual things, however, requires a different approach than learning scientific things. The scientific method and intellect are very helpful, but they alone will never bring spiritual knowledge. Learning spiritual things involves the intellect, but that is not enough. We also learn spiritual things by the Spirit. Answers to spiritual questions are given to individuals who don't harden their hearts, who ask in faith, believing they will receive, and who diligently keep the commandments. Even when we follow the pattern, we don't control the timing of getting answers. Sometimes our answers come quickly. Sometimes we must place questions on the shelf for a time and rely on faith that is developed from the answers we do know. So I, I love this idea of making sure that we use the Spirit to understand spiritual things. Now, the other thought that I came in was Doctrine and Covenant 76, because in Doctrine and Covenant 76, Joseph Smith also helps us understand the same pattern. And I thought it was fascinating looking at the beginning when he's describing how he received the revelation, that it's very similar to the description of Paul in terms of how important it is that we view things through spiritual eyes. And this is the Lord talking to Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon. He says, for thus saith the Lord, I, the Lord... What verse are you in? Oh, I'm in 76 verse 5. Okay. The very beginning. He said, I, the Lord, am merciful and gracious unto those who fear me and delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth unto the end. Great shall be their reward and eternal shall be their glory. And to them will I reveal all mysteries. Now, I want to say that mysteries can't just be the mysteries, spiritual mysteries, but also mysteries of which house should I, you know, go to? And those can also be mysteries in our lives. Or, you know, what what am I supposed to study? Or, you know, what profession should I, you know, look to? Yea, all the hidden mysteries of my kingdom from days of old for ages to come will I make known unto them the good pleasure of my will concerning the things pertaining to my kingdom. Yea, even the wonders of eternity shall they know, and things to come will I show them, even the things of many generations. For by my Spirit will I enlighten them, and by my power will I make known unto them the secrets of my will. So the power of the Spirit is really what we must use to be able to understand those mysteries. And for each one of those us, those mysteries might be different in terms of the answers that we're seeking. But I love the fact that we get from the Lord this principle of how we must have the Spirit with us. And so my question is, how do we gain the Spirit so that we have the Spirit to have these questions answered? Well, I loved... The best part of that scripture for me was the secret of his will. Because I think sometimes we look for other mysteries or other answers mysteries. that have to do with us rather than the will of the Lord. And I think that's part of how you get the spirit is being willing to accept the answer, is having that willingness. That's real to, intent. Real <laughs> intent. <clears throat> Whatever the Lord Whatever the Lord wants. Will ask of us. Right. It's just a it's a daily thing. We we can't 
just take a vacation for a week from scripture study. <laughs> you know, we, we have to be constantly seeking it and so that we can keep the spirit in our life because we live in a time where peace is not on the earth mm -hmm. and of contention and confusion. And so, you know, it's hard, but it's easier than letting it go and not feeling the spirit. So one thing specifically that the Lord says here is that we must keep his commandments. And so I think sometimes we we ask for these blessings when we're not keeping all the commandments that we should. And so we need to also look in our lives and say, all right, wh what must I do to be able to have this spirit? There might be things that I have to repent or change or do better. And so that goes right along with our next point that Paul talks about, because there were specific things that the people in Corinth were having problems with, commandments that they were having issues with. And so because of that, Paul was saying, if you want to understand these spiritual things, you must first take care of these commandments that you're not living. <laughs> so, Christine, do you want to start talking about some of these commandments that they were having problems with? Well, in the city of Corinth, there were 12 temples. And one of the largest, greatest temples of all was the Temple of Aphrodite. And the Temple of Aphrodite taught free love. It was all good. And so I think it's much, I feel like sometimes our society is the temple of Aphrodite. Oh, right definitely, now. definitely. Too it's much. media <clears throat> right now. So they're living in that kind of planet. I, I was saying when I was on my mission, there was a girl that came up to me and said, I don't understand why you're so judgmental of my choices. Because in the scriptures, it doesn't say anywhere that free love isn't okay. Like you're not allowed to commit adultery if you made a promise. But before then, this whole thing, I just think you're making it up as members of the church of Jesus Christ. And um, I wish I had known about 1 Corinthians 7. So if you have a teenager that says that to you, open up to 1 Corinthians 7. And in 18, it says, flee fornication. So it's pretty strong. Black and white. Pretty strong. <laughs> flee it. Don't do that. But it is interesting because he goes on and he talks about um, <clears throat> the importance of living a chaste life, of of making good choices when it comes to um, ritual purity. And we talked about in um, verse 16, right in that thing he says, he which is joined to a harlot is of one body, for it says that two shall be one flesh. But he that is joined with the Lord is one spirit. And I think that I that he was teaching that what we make as far as choices in our life, especially when it comes to chastity, affects us at a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. And it also makes it so we can't be bound with the Lord. So the biggest thing we were just talking about, the spirit right. and all the gifts of the spirit and how it teaches us, how it opens our eyes, how it heals us. And we lose all of those gifts when we give them up for making these choices. And so um, it, it, what we talked also about in 19, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. which is in you. And so again, it's about staying worthy of the Spirit. And that's where in today's world where it's so easy for kids to make alternative choices and to fall in this world where there's so much lasciviousness 
there's so much sexuality that they're just surrounded with. Know that they can become clean from this, from chastity issues. And the Lord really does heal. And I think that when we were young, there was so much language that made you feel like if you made those bad choices, that it was like good for you forever tarnished. You know, those, and it, that's just not true. The Lord will heal you, but as you decide to live a chaste life and a pure life, the Holy Ghost will come back into your life and change you. Well, and I loved Elton <clears throat> Holland gave a wonderful talk about this specifically. He said, Please never say, who does it hurt? Why not a little freedom? I can transgress now and repent later. Please don't be so foolish and so cruel. You cannot, with impunity, crucify Christ afresh. Flee fornication, Paul cries, <laughs> and flee it. anything like unto it. The Doctrine and Covenants adds, Why? Well, for one reason, because of the incalculable suffering in both body and spirit endured by the Savior of the world, so that we could flee. And so I think we owe him something for that. Indeed, we owe him everything for that. And it's so interesting because verse 20 of verse 6 says, Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, which is saying the same thing you just read, yeah. Yeah. that we are bought with a price and to not utilize that price, but that we should glorify him in all our actions. Um, in the very next uh, chapter, <clears throat> we talked about how um, a lot of Paul can be confusing. And one of the things that are confusing is he talks about marriage. And when he's talking about marriage in seven, especially... Um, verses uh, 29 through 31, it sounds as though he's saying that it's more important that we are, um, oh, read my mind, that it sounds like it's more important for us to stay celibate than to be married. But as we know through Joseph Smith's translation, that um, second best is more about when you're on a mission, right. that on a mission as you serve a mission. So here it says um, in 26 and 27, it says, are there bound into a wife seat not to be loosed? So you should stay married. But um, if thou art married, thou hast not sinned. But it says um, later that it would be better if you were like me and not married. And, and you're like, is it better not to be married than married? And you're like, no, because in Joseph Smith, it says very clearly during a mission, like as a young missionary, you can go and just serve 100%. You don't have to split between right. a family. And matter of fact, let's read at the Joseph Smith translation. If you, if you look in the back of your Bible, mm -hmm. uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is also retranslated by Joseph yes, Smith, where he says in verse 29, exactly what you just I said. Know. He said, but I speak unto you who are called unto the ministry. Full-time missionaries. For this I say, brethren, the time that remaineth in is but short that ye shall be sent forth unto the ministry. So in the Joseph Smith translation, it's very clear that he's talking about those who are missionaries, full-time missionaries right. called to the ministry. That's what he's talking about. So to clarify, we believe in marriage. So he says in 1 Corinthians, and 
Paul believes in marriage because in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, he says, neither is the man without the woman or the woman without the man and the Lord. And more clearly in DNC 131, we all know that in order to obtain the highest degree of glory, that we have to enter into the new and everlasting covenant, which is the covenant of marriage. And so how that works is interesting. I do have to giggle. There was this little old lady that I used to visit in the um, old folks home in Portland. And when I was there, she would always say to me, Christine, I've never been married, but I know exactly who I'm going to marry after this life. And I'm like, who? Did I tell you this one? And she says, "Um, you know, all those like cute little boys that fought during the Revolutionary War that were just so valiant. One of them's mine. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. (laughs) So it just made me giggle that she had. So the Lord will give you that gift if we live worthy you know, but um, but when we have the opportunity, marriage is really important. And so um, it is not second best. It is the center of the gospel. Uh, I think that it was so cute because in, in the Come Follow Me manual, um, Wendy uh, Nelson, she was a, a family marriage counselor, mm-hmm. and she gives um, advice of four secrets to a happy marriage. And it's just so cute. She says, your Aunt Wendy is giving you four secrets to happy marriage. And I thought, we who have had marriages longer, as you've struggled with marriages and with relationships, but also as you look forward, and I and I have a boy that's dating, and as you look forward to marriage, I, I thought it'd be interesting to get your feelings if you agree with Wendy, and you're allowed to disagree. <laughs> it's pretty... I probably won't. So the yeah, first I probably one... won't either. <laughs> Not with Wendy. <laughs> no. <laughs> is um, the truths about love and marriage are brought to us through the Holy Ghost. That the the best way we can know how to make a marriage work is through the Holy Ghost. And that goes right with the comment that we were and talking before. I love this sure. because each marriage is so different. Mm-hmm. And it's allowed to be different. And I, I think of that one day... Um, you know, my children had all kind of grown up and were all in the stages that your children are, where they were off to school in the middle of the day and I had that center of the day to myself. And I was struggling with kind of that new season of life and not sure what to do with it. And um, my husband and I were just, it seemed like every action we had was just negative. And I was like, why is there so much anger? And I was um, not really thinking about it because you were so busy with sports with the kids and playing. And one day I was in the temple and I looked across at him and I thought, all we are is angry at each other. And the spirit said to me, you need to start making like regular dinners. And because we were out and I had a football player and we were out with a football player, we were doing a lot of grab and go. And he, my husband was just missing that. But I never would have known that was the whole unless the spirit had told me for him that was really important. And I wasn't making that space for him. So number one is the Holy Ghost can really help us figure out the truths of our marriage. Um, the second one is that personal purity, personal purity is the key to true love. Mm. That whenever we make choices that shift our personal purity, it takes away our ability to truly love. I think that's an interesting one. Do you believe that? I do. Yeah, I I absolutely do because then anger and contention enter into it and dishonesty 
And so interesting dishonesty. I was thinking comparing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But dishonesty is even better. Dishonesty is important. But you know how some people compare because you're Mm -hmm. looking at other things or Mm -hmm. reading a really good romance novel and you're like, my romance is nothing like that. Well, maybe it's personal purity. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, three, the Lord wants us to participate in the wonders and joys of human intimacy. And I do think that and and it's cute because at the end of this talk, and you should see it, how she talks about those important, the Lord believes in sex. He believes that we should be able to have that joy together mm-hmm. and a fullness of joy. And so I think that that is important because I think too often when we talk about chastity, we worry about the do nots, do nots, do nots. And it's okay for the do's. And then the last one is um, for true intimacy to be there. And this has to do with the honesty that you must have the Holy Ghost, that a, a happy, happy, pure marriage is that triangle of the Lord with you and your husband. And that's what makes it an eternal marriage. So, um, and I thought just as perfect love casteth out all fear, um, fear casts out love. And so when you worry about the other person, when you don't trust them, then that actually can just Just crumble a marriage so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so that's where those moments of honesty, God wants us to be married. God's married. He's father. We know we have a heavenly mother and that that is key to our progression. I think it's interesting though, in, in today's world, it's hard have a happy marriage. I think, you know, uh, and, and sometimes it's important for us to talk about why is it hard? And, and I, I look at some of the, the things that have happened in, in our marriage and I have a very happy marriage. I have a wonderful marriage, but boy, we've worked at it. You know, we've worked really hard at it. And oftentimes, um, you know, there's been times when Steve's done a lot of traveling and I've been the one that's you know, taking care of the 12 children at home by myself. And, and then there's, there's other times when I've been really busy and Steve has had to take over things. And because of the craziness of life, that just adds also a layer that I think also makes it very difficult to keep things in balance. And a relationship has to be in balance with the Lord, but also with each other, making sure that you spend enough time to have a relationship. Well, it was interesting because when you first started saying that and you said in today's world, I think, and I, you know how you think you're going to say something else? It's hard just to have a marriage period because over half of the marriageable people in the church are not married right now. And I think that that it's difficult. It's difficult to find someone. I have three out of my five sons that aren't married, that are all post, you know, missionaries. And it's hard so I do think that as we stay worthy of it, and I love that Wendy is such an example of of just staying open and preparing yourself to, so when that moment comes, whether in this life or the next, that you will be prepared yeah. to have that that true connection. Well, and she says in her book, um, The Heavens Are Open, before she met... Um, or considered President Nelson as a possibility, that she prayed for him. She had the inspiration to pray for her future husband. I love it. And I thought that was so cute that she's like, wherever he is, 
you know, and she's just praying that he'll have a good day and that he'll be able to have strength for the challenges that he has. And, you know, so she just had faith that um, there was an order prepared for her. And so hopefully this is not too controversial a thing to say, but um, but uh, when one of the recent books I read was a biography of Helen Mark Kimball, who was a plural wife of Joseph Smith, and they both had a hard time accepting that. And one of the things that when the angel visited Joseph Smith and told him to do it, he said there's an order that existed in the previous life. And so it's one of the things that I hold on to is that there is some sort of order. And even though I haven't found it yet, um, there is something planned for me and it existed before this life. And so, um, so that is, that is something that I hold on to. I love how she said purity. Um, I tell my kids, um, two things. Um, first of all, find somebody who loves the Lord the most. I mean, if he loves God more than he loves you, you're always going to be okay. Um, and then, you know, if, if they're able to stay pure because they're asking God, what else do I need to do? What else can I do to improve? You know, um, then, then you're going to, yeah, you, you won't face, you're going to have that humility that will make your marriage work. So, um, I love that. My thoughts Purity on. is the key to true love. The other thing I want to say that I was thinking of is your great example of handing things to the Lord and then something sideways coming in that directs you a different place. And there are two examples I wanted to tell about that. First is my son that I told you that was in the bishopric. I think I can say this. When he was called and set apart to be in the bishopric, a good friend of ours who was in the stake presidency was giving him the blessing. And he was blessing him with this, you know, being set apart. And at the end, he paused, waited, waited, and then he finished and closed. And I knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to bless him that he would find a wife, but the spirit constrained him because it wasn't his time yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And he said, I said, I know exactly. And I went up and he said, how'd you know? And I'm like, because I wanted you to so badly. But the time wasn't yet for him. Mm-hmm. And um, and the Lord knows there's a peace where sometimes you have to heal or grow or the person you're supposed to marry isn't quite ready and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can feel that peace because you're doing these steps that are, are, are independent of whether you're married. Then the other thing I wanted to say was that my daughter-in-law, Rachel, she um, lived in Provo, graduated with great... Um, uh, grades from Provo, and then got a job in Rexburg teaching school. And she thought, I wasn't going to do the Rexburg thing, but she felt so inspired to come. And then she met my son. And it was such a gift. She has been such a gift to our family. But she said the Lord took her to a place she never thought she wanted to be so that she could meet the person she was supposed to meet. So I think, too, sometimes we hand our will over to the Lord and then he'll say, Go to this crazy place that you never wanted to go because that's where you need to be. So the Lord does direct us as we stretch and whether it's constraining us because either this is a good season for us or the Lord knows better or directing us a place to go. Well, and I know, Tiffany, we've talked about how um, difficult some of these things are, especially in 
First Corinthians chapter yeah. seven. There's some you know difficult things for us to understand, um, but he also talks about this whole idea of milk versus meat of the gospel. And so I'm looking forward to this discussion because yeah. I, I do. Think I get it's so confused. What is milk and meat? What is milk? What's meat? Right. Well, and when you um, when you asked me to come on the show and our first and our Zoom call to talk about this, I said, "Is it okay? I really want to talk about the meat. I, you know, um, I'm not a milk person. I want the meat." And so I'm excited to talk about in First Corinthians three. And do you how, remember what we said in response? Yeah, yeah. You're like we're, we're meat we're, people. We're, we're, we're carnivores. We're carnivores. Right. We're all in. Yep, yep. So, um, so I love that. And uh, in um, so in First Corinthians three one through two, it says, "And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual." But as unto carnal, and you know, we've talked about this spiritually and carnally minded, <laughs> even as babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. So that sounds, I wonder if that might have been discouraging for them to hear. Okay, I you're not ready yet. This is the milk. Yeah. What is the meat? I know. I know. Yeah. Right. It's hard. Right. And we've also kind of talked about mysteries um, and how, um, what I think is remarkable is that, you know, individually, any of us can have access to them. And that was one of the, um, defining characteristics of the early church was that the you know joseph smith didn't say um i have all the answers look to me he said um you go ask for yourself and you know that's um and sometimes he would test them on it so um i uh so some of the sundays i've kind of struggled in attending church and i'll just admit that because i feel like I'm only being offered milk sometimes, and so it can be a struggle for me. Um, so, uh, so I want to go straight to the meat here. In my point, I think, I think some of the church sometimes in the church we're afraid of the meat, and um, for example, we're we're shying away um, from our early church roots. You know, you have some people leaving the church because of polygamy, because of this whole new movement of Joseph Smith, the idea that he was a mystic. And, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, it's, it's a little cringy to talk about the early church. Um, and so, and there's even been some artistic depictions of Joseph, you know, with his hat and the goggles and things like that. And so um, there's a nonprofit I really like called the Joseph Smith Foundation that's taken on a mission to prove that we don't need to be ashamed of our roots. And so one of the books I'm reading is called Faith Crisis, We Were Not Betrayed. And what they do is they examine primary sources rather than secondary or tertiary exactly. sources. So many of exactly. them are old lies. Mm -hmm. right. And you're like, right. you know, when it says that Joseph beginning. would be mm -hmm. known for good and evil, just because mm -hmm. it's an old lie doesn't make it a better lie. Right. right. <laughs> and some of it came <clears throat> from the apostles after they had apostatized. Yep. Right. And so how, how are we looking at those sources? And so um, they also have a site called LDS Answers. So um, and really to to help us talk with especially our youth about these hard questions. But um, so uh, 
my point here is that we need to ask the questions and not be afraid of the answers because um, the glory of God is intelligence and he gives us the mysteries of the kingdom. We were described as intelligences before we were born. Um, so spirit can speak to spirit and we can know it all and we we shouldn't be afraid of what we might learn. Um, Joseph Smith in Lectures on Faith taught, lastly but not and less important to the exercise of faith in God is the idea that he is love for with all the excellencies in his character, without this one to influence them, they could not have such powerful dominion over the minds of men. So if we trust that he loves us, we don't need to be afraid of what answers we might find through this. Um, so any, any thoughts on this topic about the meat. I have well, it is interesting because I do think both in church and sometimes in 90% of general conference am I allowed to say that? It's very milky. But I do think it's because so much of the meat has to be individually fought for mm. and searched for. And so the point of it is that as we share the milk and then as people have questions, if you've eaten well of the meat, you have a strength and power that then can lift and help people that just milk feeders don't get. So often we don't bring up those things to not unnecessarily bring up questions. But I agree with you that unless you look at both sides and really search in context with truth, then I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know how you feel like you really have that stable strength. But I do think we need both. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you just lived on meat, and and for me, the milk is Jesus is the Christ, the doctrine of Christ, you know, all the five principles of the doctrine of Christ. That's true. I mean, that is what we have to be focused on. And that doesn't mean that we can't go and understand, you know, some of these mysteries and some of the, you know, some of the meat that we then put within this right. idea of the milk. Um, I had an interesting experience when we went on our mission because I didn't know Portuguese before we left. And so I, in some ways, I was really frustrated because I knew, I mean, I, I did finally get it, but I knew that when I was teaching the gospel, I was going to have to skinny it down. I was going to have to be really careful that the things that I said were things that I could say. And and because of that, it was really interesting because I was always just basic because I didn't have the language to to be more complicated about the gospel. That was actually probably a great blessing for me because it caused me to constantly look and think about what I was saying, that everything that I was saying was based on the Savior. And I, I, like I could say... Um, the Savior in, you know, Jesus Christo. I could do that. And so, <laughs> so my own personal feeling is sometimes we can't complicate the gospel for people who are still at the beginning level. And sometimes when we do, it becomes more difficult for them to gain that testimony. That's true. And I, I think of that, what the Lord said, to feed your testimony truth and to be careful of your testimony. And you can get lost and you see people lost in like researching what we just talked about. Yeah. And then they go way off and you're and they get lost in it. 
because they lose those anchors. And so you do have to maintain, you know, those the basics basics of your testimony and know them and have them strong. But I also think understanding those other things is an important piece of having a balanced, complete testimony. Well, and maybe we just need to be more diligent about teaching it in the home, you know, and that was the point, part of the point of the shift, you know, because you can teach the meat in your home, you know, because you're in a, you're in a safe environment, um, you know, and maybe that's the best way to learn it for the kids, these kids to learn it. So, right. That is interesting. I do think having them know, um, especially when we're talking about the early history of the church, having them understand Joseph Smith. I remember when Rough Stone Rolling came out, I gobbled it up in like one day. I read it like 24 Mm seven because I had read so many pieces. And for me, it was such a helpful, meaningful, like testimony inspiring. And then I had another friend who read it and it really made them struggle. And so I do think it has to do with that base testimony. And I think teaching in the home is probably the answer. Right. Thank you. Well, and then I had um, one more part of First Corinthians um, talking about uh, planting the seeds. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to share. So he says, um, for we are labors together with God. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Um, so, uh, you know, speaking of the meat and training our kids and planting those seeds in this great kingdom of God in these latter of the latter days. God is hastening his work. Um, Elder Christofferson said, this great and last dispensation is building steadily to its climax, Zion on earth being joined with Zion from above at the Savior's glorious return. The Church of Jesus Christ is commissioned to prepare and is preparing the world for that day. So I think there are, you know, by hastening his work— I mean, because the darkness is so dark, the light, um, I, I feel like it's easier to shine the light. And so, um, and I hope, I hope my daughter will forgive me for sharing this story, but um, I just have to because it's the perfect example of planting seeds. So um, she left for university last fall and she encountered a lot of different philosophies there, you know, and re- being raised in Alpine, you don't get a lot of different schools of thought. And so, um, you know, so she has a very curious mind. So she asked and she explored. What university? Is she? University of Utah. Wonderful. And, you know, she's, and she's done very well. She's a business scholar. She's, um, you know, really enjoyed the academics there, but, um, you know, but the, the spiritual has been, harder. And, you know, there's lots of different philosophies there. And so, um, she, um, you know, so she's, she at one point had a, you know, Christian spiritual advisor. She thought that would be, um, interesting to have. And so, you know, but as she was asking the questions, she found that they only went so deep. And in the end, her conclusion was the gospel goes the deepest. The gospel of Jesus Christ in this church goes the deepest, and it has more answers, and I feel better, and I feel more comfortable with that. And so after, you know, a period of trying out other things um, for, you know, about nine months or so, she called me and said, 
um, I think I'm ready to come back to church and I want to serve a mission. And so it was a huge miracle. Now, um, I'm also going to say that I think temple attendants and ancestors had something to do with that too. But, um, but because those seeds had been planted, when she heard something that was only a partial truth, she could recognize that and was so impactful for her. Um, that just reminds me of when Alma the Younger, and he, his mind, sorry, goes back to what he had learned from his father. Mm-hmm. And you think of those times where he probably just rolled his eyes, like, not again, you're talking about this stupid stuff. Yeah. But when he was ready, too. then his mind went back to those teachings. So those seeds make a huge difference. They do. They absolutely do. They really do. Yeah. And because of that, you you don't ever have to lose hope because you know you planted them and they aren't going anywhere, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so eventually, you know... Um, the conditions are right. Yes, yes, then they will. And it was another thing that I had turned over to God and I just said, you know, I... Um, I hand her over to you because you love her so much and I know that you'll take care of her. And so look at what, look at what happened. And it was from a, um, she attended a concert where, um, she saw someone that had been important spiritually in her life. She was part of the, a youth choir that was a spiritual youth choir. And this was the choir director. And so all those feelings came flooding back to her. And so, you know, even the seeds of spiritual music, you know, had um, made a difference for her. So that, and he just used that small thing to touch her and it's beautiful. bring her back. So um, I, I just want to, um, so Sister Nelson, um, again, in that Hope of Israel talk said, My dear brothers and sisters, these are indeed the latter days. There has never been a time like this in the history of the world. Never. And this goes back to our discussion last time about pre-mortal existence. Um, Pre-mortally, you and I committed to do a great work while we were here on this work, on this earth. And with the Lord's help, we'll do it. Um, And so those seeds that get planted, you know, within our children, within us, we help gather Israel. um, And that's the goal. That's President Nelson says that's the most important thing uh, that we can be doing right now. There's absolutely nothing more important, nothing. I mean, it was like, if you read, what's interesting is if you go back and read the talk um, on the app, you can see that certain words are italicized and also the footnotes, which are great, right? Footnotes. Yeah. So, um, so have you ever had an experience where seeds have been planted that have been led to, um, you know, to great blessings in your lives? Oh, definitely. I, I think for me, the the seeds that have been planted have also been, as you've already talked about, in families. You know, I think of the seeds that my mother planted, the seeds that my father planted. And not only that, but we've talked about family history work and temple work and how Oftentimes, it's it's interesting to me. You, you know, you talk about the um, the water that's needed and the right soil. The temple is the place to find that watering and that right soil. That as we go, sometimes that is where things are brought back into our memories. Those plants begin to blossom and bloom, 
as we attend the temple and we gain insight and understanding, even premortal seeds that all of a sudden, as we're in the temple, will begin also to come within our hearts and into our minds. And so I am so thankful for the opportunity to look forward to more blooming. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's also a, a wonderful thing to think about in the eternities, how we have these celestial little seeds that have been planted since, you know, before we even came to earth, that we can look forward to their their blossoming and their growing. Well, I also wanted to talk about how we also plant seeds as we teach and love and serve other people. When I was, um, years ago, I visited a woman that had a couple of horses and she was on my visiting teaching or ministering list and went out and um, she hadn't come to church forever. And we would talk and I got the children to get in, in horseback riding lessons so that we'd have the opportunity to see each other weekly. And we talked about the gospel and everything and her testimony. And she never came to church the whole time I was there. Well, we moved away and we came back like five years later for a visit and I go to the library, and who's the librarian? But this woman who'd never gone to church. And so it's just so funny that you, that seed, she said that um, when you left, I thought they needed someone with attitude because there's too many boring people in the world. So she came back. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but I had to go for her to come back. So I think sometimes we plant those seeds. And just one other, other seed that, that got me was just um, last weekend, we went to go visit um, a state park. And one of the people that ran them was in my husband's high school. And he just thought this was just a random dude and um, from high school. And it turned out that he had joined the church. And the seed that had made him make a difference was that um, my husband's brother, as a young man, stood up and bore his testimony. And this guy wanted to play church ball. And he was just there that one day. And the testimony was the oddest testimony because he had hearing aids and his father had let him grow his hair just over the hearing aids. But he was so grateful, but he was shocked that the boy wanted to like be obedient to his father. And he's like, I want to be that kind of person that cares about how long my hair is. I don't care about anything. So it was cute because we don't even know sometimes the seeds we spread because true. that was the moment where he decided he would listen. He joined the church, and it changed his life. Now he's a council member, and has Isn't just had wonderful? an incredible experience. And it's just small, isn't it's that just so, so bizarre? Small, small, small <laughs> miracles. Mm -hmm. It is. And so we do things. plant seeds all the mm -hmm. time. We share. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion. It has so strengthened my testimony, and especially these ideas of planting seeds and looking for the wisdom of God and Spirit being a hundred percent a part of our lives. So. Thank you again for your testimonies. Mm -hmm.